Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, here today with some new Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. My guest today is one of my best friends in the whole wide world, my chosen family member and longtime collaborator, Nick Sahoya. We talk about everything from his experiences writing jokes for Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, all the way to his thirst trap photos in which you see, as Meatball calls it, Dick Neck. Hunker down and sink your teeth into some new hijinks. Forever. Dog. everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by my longtime collaborator, one of my very best friends in the whole wide world, and just a general all-around cool guy. It's Nick Sahoya. Hi, Nick. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> Jesus, you don't have to pull a face. I tried to give you a good intro, and then you it... pull a face. Are you not just a generally all-around cool guy? No, that's a wonderful description. Thank you for, I, that was in my writer. I sent it over, so thank you for reading it <laughs> verbatim. Well, anytime I try to list uh, the things that you do, you're always like, no, I don't do that anymore. No, no, no. I'm a renaissance man, but like I'm a renaissance man that's constantly quitting things and <laughs> refusing to be associated with them anymore. Professional quitter Nick Sahoya <laughs> is here with us today. So, um, yes, you are in a state of flux right now. Um, we don't have to. We don't have to dwell on it, but you have had... <laughs> Charlie Rose, this is very hard hitting already. <laughs> you've had um, you've had a, a wonderful career, and now you're at this point in your life where you're deciding what you're going to do next. But for our listeners' benefit, you have worked as a comedy writer. You worked mm-hmm. as a stand-up comedian for many years. You were an overnight <laughs> chaperone at a years. boarding school. <laughs> I would love to not talk about that job. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a weird job. In my universe, you are um, most commonly known as my longtime collaborator, my comedy writing partner, one of my best friends. We were we were roommates or housemates for a while. Um, we've had every imaginable relationship dynamic between the two of us over the last uh, oh my god, what like fifteen years that we've known each other. I think we met when we were nineteen. 18. 19. 19. Somewhere around there. 18 or 19. So, and I'm turning 34 in a week. <gasps> um, so we've known each other for at least, you know, a decade. Um, let's talk about the night that we met. Because I don't know how, how common knowledge... I know we've talked about it a lot in public spaces, but I don't know how easily accessible the story of our first meeting <laughs> is. So let's make it easily accessible. <laughs> um, yeah, I was uh, 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 18 or 19. <laughs> and uh, I was going to uh, Dresden Dolls concert at the Showbox in uh, Seattle, Washington. And uh, <laughs> out, out front... Uh, of the theater uh, dressed as a, a doll uh, hooker, a doll sex worker, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, there was this um, red haired lady. And uh, I was wearing a black wig that night. Sorry. I'm going okay, to have to check you right there. <laughs> um, and uh, Jinx was out there performing to coin operated boy uh, with uh, our mutual friend Etienne. And um, the boombox died like two thirds of the way through the song. So you just kind of slinked off into the darkness, but everyone <laughs> applauded. I think everyone was into it. Yeah, it was. Uh, everyone it was applauded a- when you stopped. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Jesus. So Etienne and I, um, this was early in my life. We started busking on the streets of Portland, and our um, our uh, name for our act was the Street Dolls. 
very clever title yeah. there. But we we specifically started our um, lives as uh, buskers, um, inspired by the Dresden Dolls. So our makeup and our costuming was very inspired by um, Amanda Palmer and the Dresden Dolls. And uh, we would perform a lot of Dresden Dolls song in a pantomime style. Um, we also did, you know, songs from other sources, uh, Moulin Rouge, Pinocchio, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And what we did was we acted like wind up dolls and the song would start and we would wind up and perform the song. This was like my earliest iterations of drag. And the Dresden Dolls had this nationwide network called the Dirty Business Brigade, which was um, a network of buskers and performance artists who would um, basically provide uh, entertainment in the foyer of the concert spaces that the Dresden Dolls performed at. Um, But then also during the show. You, you during the show, numbers. Yeah, we would we would pop up and do pantos um, during the numbers and stuff. And and what Etienne and I did the most was perform for the lines, um, waiting to get into the venue. Um, and so that's how we snagged our free tickets that night to the Dresden <laughs> Dolls concert. And I had um, to pay for my ticket, but um, I was invited up onto stage for the Jeep song because Amanda was unable to sing that song on her own. So she sort of assembled a Greek chorus and someone and she specifically asked for like 10 girls. <laughs> and um, I just was not having that. And I, I pushed my <laughs> way forward and I was like, this is my favorite Dresden doll song. And uh, one of the dirty business ladies, she, uh, she spotted me and she saw my enthusiasm and she invited me up. Um, so I, I think we briefly talked like as I was getting off stage. And then when the concert was over, you, me, Etienne, and my group of friends, uh, these uh, queers from the suburbs, <laughs> all uh, <laughs> decided that we would meet up at the Dick's Drive-In on Capitol Hill. And then that's that's Dicks. really where it all began. Yeah, well, it was, um, it was you know, like so many queer friendships began. Um <laughs> Uh, my friend Etienne was being heavily flirtatious with your boyfriend at the time. I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how, you and, <laughs> that's how you and I started talking is because the people we were there with started uh, 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 turning their backs to us and we were left alone <laughs> in conversation. Um, but the funny thing for, from my side of the experience was that I was really feeling myself that night and I was convinced that you didn't realize I was a drag queen and that oh, I you didn't. thought that, Oh, that's true. Oh, so yeah, yes. I, I had never you, met a drag queen and, and you thought that I was a cis woman. Just um, with a lot of just, white face paint on. Cause like, yeah. who knows what's going on under there? <laughs> I figured it was a wig, but. <laughs> and I remember like very, insistently um as we started talking after that i think on myspace <laughs> myspace yes, is given a lot of airtime in my podcasts these days um <laughs> we started talking and i wanted to make sure you knew that i was a queer person in drag um because while um while i could sense the friendship budding i also had quite the crush on you back in the day, which is an ongoing theme for me. Most of my friendships start as a crush. <laughs> um, because I'm an ethical slut. And that's yes, just the very tea. very communicative. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, we, we connected on MySpace and we realized we were neighbors. You lived about a 10-minute walk from me in the university district. Yeah. And then... Um, Literally my first quarter at University of Washington, I got mono really bad. Like I had to not go to class quite a bit and I couldn't take care of myself. So you said, come over here and I'll take care of you. And I think I took a bath. You took a bath and I washed your back. I think you dumped a little water on me. (laughs) Um, And that's kind of what started our ongoing theme of this mother-son dynamic that we've uh, leaned into heavily in our work. We've cultivated throughout the, the years. I won't spill too much tea, but I do have to bring up. Uh, another another early thing in our oh in our friendship <laughs> only because I thought it was so unique to us and then I've now since learned that it's not unique in the queer community at all 
But early on, it was the second time we hung out in person after the Dresden Dolls concert. Um, You and I and your boyfriend at the time hung out at your parents' house. At your parents' house. My mom can't listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Does she listen? Uh Uh-oh. No, she she doesn't know. She doesn't know, and it's better that way. Well, it's not like you're not a th- like you're in your 30s now. Like, what grudge is your mom gonna hold again? The stuff that my mom now knows because she follows my work, I've just had to let go of. Like, I've had to let go of any secrets. But anyway, the point is, you and me and your boyfriend at the time played strip WarioWare. Now, WarioWare is a Mario video game. Kart. No, it was WarioWare because it's rapid. Oh, no, was it Mario Kart where we started stripping? The point is, we were playing video games, and there was a stripping element to whoever lost that round had to take off an article of clothing. Um, And then we ended up, uh, you know, doing what so many young queer people do, having a very clumsy threesome (laughs) in your parents' house. (laughs) Um, But uh, that began our very beautiful friendship. Um, so I thought this was a really unique story until like just a couple days ago, I was talking to my, my, um, my young queer unicorn friend Emerald about strip WarioWare. And they said, oh yeah, I play strip WarioWare with friends all the time. And I'm like, what? This is like a thing. This isn't unique to mine and Nick's experience. (laughs) Well, I have a theory that when you are very, uh, a very repressed queer in the suburbs, it's, it's the most, it's sort of the least sexual way to see a naked person (laughs) is to play some sort of strip game. I did this with many different games. I did it with WarioWare. I did it with Mario Kart. And at one party, we literally played a game of Strip Quack Did Lioso. And everyone was naked so fast. I have no idea what that is. Quack you don't know what Quack Lioso? Did Lioso? It's where, okay, no. so you put your uh, right hand on top of the hand to the person next to you. And underneath the hand, your left hand is underneath. And then you clap it. <sighs> and you have to clap their hand. And you go, quack, did Leo so quack, quack, no, quack, sing no, Sam, no. Rico, 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 Flora, 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 one, two, three, four. And whoever gets hit on four is out. Or has to take off an article of clothing. Well, yes, in this case. I will say that I think this is the biggest difference between our generation and um, the, the young queers today, the 20-something queers today, is we grew up at a time where... You, you know, like, I think we, we had to learn how to be queer, but simultaneously not pronounce it or not announce it to the world. And we are the generation of Netflix and chill, you know, Mm. this like, you want to hook up with someone, but there's this inherited shame and guilt around the idea of having queer sex. So you have to build it into an activity where it's like, we weren't meeting up to have sex. We were meeting up to play Wario, wherein sex just happened. Whereas Whoopsie the young boo. queers, <laughs> the young queers I know these days just want to like have complete transparency. Are we meeting up for sex or are we meeting up to watch a movie? Um, whereas the queers of our generation, I think, really heavily leaned into the idea of, oh, we'll just get together and ha- make ham sandwiches. And if sex happens, we can't be blamed for it because... Making ham we- sandwiches already sounds a little bit... <laughs> Suspect. So I fully believe that transparency is the way to go, but it is something I had to uncondition from myself is the idea that like I can't talk about wanting to have sex or I can't um I can't be forthright with uh that it has to be like hidden in some uh, guised uh idea of like we're just gonna get together and play video games even though we both know what we're doing is getting together to have sex do you find that (laughs) well I don't know because uh um you you told me this theory when I was asking you advice on how to hit on my upstairs neighbor who's young and hot. And this was a theory you ran by me and I haven't, I haven't put it into practice yet. I haven't messaged him and said, Hey, do you want to come downstairs and have sex? Can you successfully 
have sex with someone in your building without it becoming very weird? I feel like no. Well, let's clarify a couple of things. I didn't say just say to this person, come downstairs and have sex. I just said if what you want is um, a sexual relationship with this person, be upfront about it, you know, or at least like, you know, say to them, hey, this is what I'm looking for right now at this point in time. Is that what you are also looking for? And if those two um, desires uh, link up, then, hey, we live in the same building. We can. But I do think you're right. I think um, it's too small having of a, a building. <laughs> having an NSA relationship with um, someone in your building could get messy very quickly because if it ends abruptly and then you have I to know. see each other in the hallway. Yeah, I mean, didn't we learn that from friends a long time ago? <laughs> Did the neighbors fucking friends? I haven't watched no, that show they... in a long time. <laughs> I just think in general, like, um, you know, uh, it's the uh, don't shit where you eat mentality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, I did encourage you to be completely transparent um, because, you know, that's... that. I think my life has been better when I've started to live it completely transparently and just be really upfront because then also the sense of rejection is lessened, you know, because then you're just like, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. Oh, this person isn't looking for the same thing. It's easier to not then go into the spiral of, is it because I'm not attractive enough? Is it because I'm, you know, to this or that it's just, we're looking for different things. The excuses we tell ourselves. <laughs> you know, when I say you're my comedy writing partner, what I want people to know is like basically. I write everything she's ever said. If you've laughed at something that's that not Jinx true. said, I wrote it down <laughs> for her and she wrote it on the back of her hand <laughs> so she could remember. It's not true, but... All of um, the season five stuff, I wrote Little Edie. <laughs> you wrote Little Edie. Yeah. You wrote all of my improvised moments. Yeah. Um, no, I I believe heavily in um, collaborators. And I, I think my best work is done um, with a collaborator. Like when I try to work on my own... You, you got to bounce your ideas off of someone. So you as my comedy writing partner, especially when I've done like roasts and stand up, it's me coming to you with a whole bunch of ideas and you telling me, um, you're the wall that I throw things at to see what sticks. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just covered in spaghetti by the end of it. <laughs> no, um, yeah, well- <laughs> Jinx usually comes to me with a, like 80% complete uh, for the roasts in particular. Um, she'll come to me with like an 80% complete set and we start by like chiseling off the stuff that's either like redundant or too inside or uh, too mean. We, we like to <laughs> not be too mean in our roasts um, and then I'll kind of throw some alternatives at her and we'll just throw ideas back and forth until we end up with something really good. I've, I feel like your sets have been very good. Yeah, I I I think I've established myself as as a roast queen with your a roastess. help. <laughs> a roastess. <laughs> um but you 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 and I have collaborated in many ways. We had a um we had a web show called Monsoon Season which I don't even know if it exists anymore because we uploaded it, it all to funnyguy.com. They're mostly on my Vimeo, so if anyone wants to mm-hmm. see them, you can go look. I think the ones that we shot in Seattle hold up the best, because <laughs> the ones in Portland are very rough around the edges, and the ones in Europe are just a little bit boring. But there's some we really did. good stuff in there. What I will say to any drag queens out there listening who think um, the way to go is just to get on stage and wing it, <laughs> there yes that is uh, that is a great route to take if that's the route you have to take you know like uh, i think drag queens are inherently improv artists but the thing that was different between our portland episodes of our web show and our seattle episodes is that we began scripting them in seattle this wild idea <laughs> this wild well, idea of thinking ahead of time of what might be worth shooting <laughs> 
Well, um, my initial, how it came to be was I was driving down to, this was the beginning of me driving down to Portland from Seattle. Anytime I had a slightest bit of a problem, Mm -hmm, (laughs) I would just leave mm -hmm. town for a weekend. Um, And I was hanging out with you and um, Kenneth and our friend Kale and uh, Amanda, that whole group. Um, gray, everyone was there, the, the whole gang, <laughs> the whole gang, and uh, and we would have these like very funny adventures getting into uh drag and going out to the kitty club and uh, coming home and staying up all night uh, listening to you do Anna Nicole impressions. <laughs> and I was very into curb your enthusiasm at the time, and I thought, what if we just did a kind of improvised sitcom? But the situations aren't Larry David in L.A. They're this small drag family. What I didn't realize is none of our friends are actors and they're definitely not improvisers. But they did good. They did pretty good. We had some great moments in those early episodes. And the best thing that came from it was this ongoing trope of um, you and I being mother and son. And it started out very much like drag mother, drag son. And then throughout the years, it's kind of morphed into you don't really know what what it means that we are mother and son. And people now, one of the most Googled things about me is, does Jinx Monsoon have a son? Because (laughs) people have now really started to just like buy into this idea that you are my biological child which is funny well, pretty because frequently I'm about, for a while <laughs> you go ahead. I'm, about, I'm what like a couple months older than you it's physically impossible months, yeah. for me to be your biological parent but i'm glad yeah, that's the only reason it's physically impossible <laughs> um <laughs> it's funny because we did uh, somewhere in the process of us being years into this bit we would uh go out and drag uh in seattle together and you would just introduce people to me and you would be like, and, this is my son. And quite frequently they would believe it. Well, it was typically, you know, um, drunk straight girls out at yeah. the club. I don't know really why drunk. we were going to so many straight people parties, but we were, we would. No, we were going, people. we were going to queer clubs. We were going to gay night clubs where there just happened to be a lot of drunk straight girls because that's where all the bachelorette parties <laughs> happened <laughs> in Seattle. But um, yeah, it was it was not only funny when people would believe us, but then they would get really moved by it. And so, <laughs> a couple times, like drunk straight girls started crying because they thought it was so beautiful that this mom was going out to the gay clubs with her gay son and um and from that spurned our um spurned <laughs> spurned spawned. What is spurned it's the same as spawned it's just it's drag queen for spawned <laughs> it's drag queen for spawned but from that uh you know then we had our um web series cool mom very much yes. the same idea and then just in general you know you you are the one person in my life who just calls me mom all the time well, I um, feel like you are my mom, <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> I want to text my mom about something, but I'm like, she probably doesn't know about this. My other mom, I mean. And um, I text you instead. And then you say, What's... what you do with the boy upstairs that you want to <laughs> sleep with is... <laughs> and it's great, and I get advice that way. Um, what my favorite thing is, is it took us years into our friendship for me to actually for the first time meet your your biological blood mother and was it at um, rent it was after a show right i can't remember where it was but what i do remember is your mom kathy coming up to me and introducing herself as your other mom (laughs) (laughs) she and she didn't do the thing of i'm nick's real mom you know which i think people outside of the queer community love the word real as if um as if other relationships aren't real as if i'm a fake person (laughs) all my names are real (laughs) yeah when people ask what's your real name um i learned this from dayla you just respond all my names are real um so your mom introduced herself as her as your other mother and I thought that was really respectful to our relationship. I thought it was um really uh really um 
just sweet of your mom to acknowledge the fucked up relationship that we've had our whole friendship. Well, she's very, she's a nice lady. I like my mom a lot. Yeah, your mom, your mom's a good one. She's a good mom. Um, and, and then most recently, you and I have been working together on um, our, my other podcast, um, I'm 40% Podcast, a show where you and I review Futurama episodes that are now a good, at each other. <laughs> a good 10 years old. Um, <laughs> so we are systematically going episode by episode, reviewing a show that's been very important in our lives. Um, it's very it's not funny. without its, it's faults, but it's still... What, the show I think or what, us? <laughs> the sh- I mean, pick. Um, but uh, I think Futurama is one of the best written TV shows in existence. And you and I have definitely drawn much inspiration from Futurama in our own writing. <laughs> yeah, I think what Jinx is saying is we've stolen some joke formats from Futurama and subbed in drag queen instead of space alien. And the joke <laughs> works great. <laughs> One of my favorite teachers at acting school said, good artists copy, great artists steal. <laughs> Um, so I'm not going to apologize for the influence that Futurama has had on my work. But, um, so I mentioned it a little bit. You are in a state of flux. You've, you've worked as a writer, you've worked as a stand-up comedian. Um, and right now you want to focus on being a writer and you're less interested in being on stage or in front of the camera. Um, do you feel like talking about that, that life decision? <laughs> uh, sure. I had been doing stand up for like, uh, 11 years. I think, I think I started when I was 22. Um, and I was, uh, part of the calculus and moving to San Francisco. We lived there for a couple years together. Um, part of the calculus was I had an in at the comedy club there and I was very established as a comedian in the Northwest. And I figured if I could just sort of segue that into Northern parlay California, that <laughs> sure parlay, if I could work that uh, <laughs> magic down in Northern California, I could maybe just work my way down the coast. And I found that um, I was, I was putting in my time. Uh, I was going to the comedy club every Sunday, which is what you're supposed to do. You remember I would leave you often. <laughs> I had to leave that thing. Okay, here's the thing. We were once the thing with is, Peaches. Here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> we were watching a movie with Peaches Christ, our uh, our dear friend. We were watching a terrible movie called Nurse 3D, and <laughs> it was on a Sunday night. So I had to leave halfway through the mo- the movie, and I didn't see how it ended. And it it seemed so much fun. And I went to the comedy club that night, and I was just like. <sighs> I've gone to this comedy club every single week for like two years. They've put me up like three times, which is more than most people. So I'm grateful. Um, but am I really going to keep uh, sort of, I don't know, giving away so much of myself, so much of my free time for working in an establishment that I don't think I thrive in. I think my comedy always did a lot better at, a theater show where uh, I was opening up for you or uh, for one of my uh, stand-up friends. Uh, I found I would usually do better in like a bar setting, which is why I started that show at uh, Blush Wine Bar in the Castro. <laughs> and if you live in San Francisco, I believe that show uh, still exists. My dear friend Wonder Dave uh, is, uh, I think, going to start it up again. So go to Blush Wine Bar in Castro, follow Wonder Dave, Team Wonder Dave on all the stuff, and I think the show will live on. But I did that show for a year, and I was intending when I moved to L.A., I was intending to just drive up every month and keep the show going. And then COVID happens. And I was also uh, shooting a sequel to my short film, Poster Boy. It was going to be a a web series with, like, little shorter episodes totaling to be... It was going to be, like, 60 minutes. It was going to be, like, a short movie when you put it all together. That also Mm -hmm. got canceled because of COVID. And I went through a big uh, depression, as many did at the beginning of uh, the quarantine. I had to let go of things that were not really feasible. And even though I wanted to continue writing, I realized that because I had shot um, the first two episodes of Poster Boy Mm 2. I had shot the first two episodes and there's some missing footage 
And I've thought about shooting those missing little insert shots and putting it out there. But I realized, yeah, I don't want to be the star of my films anymore. And I, I, I had a sex scene in it, you know, like I, I was getting <laughs> fucked from behind by my friend Pablo. Not really. It wasn't that kind of movie, but we pretended. <laughs> um, and I, it was all about me, like growing up and like not feeling comfortable in my skin anymore. And I was like, I don't know how much of this I want to put out there anymore. So I do want to keep working in film, but I just find that uh, uh, being behind the camera is where I'm more comfortable. And as far as stand-up goes, I would probably keep doing it if the uh, pandemic wasn't such a barrier because um, I just think it was very hard for me to muster up the uh, narcissism, let's say, to (laughs) sort of beg my friends to come see me tell jokes in a bar (laughs) and uh, give away their their Wednesday night to something so uh, centered on me. It's it's way harder to justify that now that there's a virus that can kill you. Um, so I uh, I support people who are still doing shows. I think that we're at a place where that's uh, that can be done safely. But um, I found that when there was even that little extra barrier in between me and making a stand-up show happen and making it something fun that I felt good attaching my name to... Once there was that slightest additional barrier, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I was like at a breaking point. I think it raises an interesting topic that um, is worth talking about, not only with us both being in the entertainment business, but also just like, you know, with the mentality that's been pushed on us uh, our whole lives, essentially within our society and culture, which is the idea that like, if you decide to stop doing something, there's this um, sense of failure attached to that when um, not all decisions to take a step back from something or to um, focus on something else is related to failure. You know, I think there's this thing in, especially in the entertainment business where it's like, if you try at something for a while and then decide you're not happy doing it, then people just assume, oh, you stopped doing that because you couldn't hack it or something. But you had um, as successful of a comedy career as you know, anyone your age could hope to have. And I got you... scouted by Just for Laughs one time. They didn't, uh, <laughs> they didn't give me an audition, but they did send me some emails. <laughs> and, you know, success is relative and you were happy in your life. And I don't think that your decision to step away from stand-up comedy was rooted in the idea that you couldn't make it as a stand-up comedian because you were doing everything right. You made no, the decision- I was very funny and I'm very adorable. And uh, <laughs> the stand-up world is a worse place without me. But I think, um, <laughs> I think that I th- the more I think about it, I think the true tipping point for me was uh, SF Sketchfest. I can't remember if this was the first or second year that I did it because I did it both years that we lived there. Um, but it was for Peaches, uh, Peaches Christ's birthday roast. And um, I was on a couple shows for that festival, a couple of stand-up performances. This was the first year. <laughs> That's not important <laughs> right now. Um, and I was sitting in the audience, and I had uh, just come from doing a, a stand-up performance. And I was sitting in the audience of the Castro Theater watching uh Elvira Mistress of the Dark and uh John Waters and these like mega stars like up on stage telling jokes that I wrote reacting to jokes that I wrote about them I was sitting next to uh uh, some friends in the audience and whenever um a joke really killed I would lean over and I'd be like I wrote that one you know and I just (laughs) found that none of the pressure was on me. I was just sitting in the theater having a great time, and it was every bit as exhilarating to me as being on the stage myself. And I think that was kind of the beginning of me finding a different place to put my energy. Because putting all my energy into, hey, I'm a stand-up, listen to me talk about my dick, 
It's, it just wasn't my bag anymore. <laughs> now I write jokes for other people so they can talk about their dicks. And it's great. <laughs> you did write one of the, the jokes that um, was a highlight of my set, which I didn't even, I didn't fully trust you that it was going to be a good joke, but I delivered it anyway. And then it was one of the heavy hitters in my set. And it was so silly, but it was like... Um, Something to the effect of, uh, some people might say that Elvira is irrelevant today, but I disagree. If you want to see a Rodney Dangerfield act presented by a... <laughs> no, 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 no. This is, let me tell it right. Uh, the joke was, uh, a lot of people claim that uh, Elvira stole her act from Vampira, who is also a sexy uh, right. vampiress. And um, I don't think that's true at all. Vampira has big boobs and dresses like a vampire, but Elvira has big boobs and dresses like a vampire and tells Rodney Dangerfield jokes. That was the bit. <laughs> and then the and then the capper was me going, I get no respect in this crypt. No yeah. respect at all. <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> and that's what brought the house down. That was um, a killer. So your yes, delivery you, was great. You're you're a very you're a very talented writer, and I don't know what I would do if I had to write jokes completely on my own. You know, it would be a lot of you'd crumble and you'd cry. It would be a lot of esoteric run-on sentences with no point if I didn't oh, I have you I've there to kind you. of focus me. <laughs> um, but I will say, you know, when we lived together, I was barely ever home. And now that we don't live together, I, I really miss being able to just like find you wherever you are in the house playing <laughs> video games in your underwear and being able to run a joke by you. Now I have to text or call you to do that. And so really us not living together is just inconvenient for me, but um, <laughs> it hasn't hasn't affected our friendship at all. Um, your your home life now um, in L.A. Let's talk about your dog for a second. Oh yeah, he's right I over there. He's being such a sweet little boy. He's just laying down, being quiet. I don't know how the fates um, made this happen, but you have the laziest dog in the entire <laughs> world. Uh, certainly the laziest dog I've ever encountered, and it is the perfect pairing for you. <laughs> this dog sleeps 90% of the day, and when he's not sleeping, he's just laying in various spots in your house. And he loves resting his head on something sharp. That's his go-to. <laughs> he loves like putting his head down on like a bone or like a metal rod. <laughs> and that's comfortable for him, I suppose. I I worried when you said you were getting a dog because I was like, how is this slacker stoner <laughs> a comedy writer going to muster the energy that it takes to take care of a dog? But I didn't know the dog you had found was the dog equivalent of you. <laughs> I'm we do almost have a actually, lot of similarities. I'm worried that the two of you together are it's you you encourage each other's lazy behavior. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> it's also kind of great because uh we're re-entering society. I've I'm going to parties. I was at a birthday party last night, no big deal. Um, That's why you're medium hungover today. I'm medium hungover. I don't know if the audience knows that yet. I don't think we mentioned it. Um, I think it's clear. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's great. I didn't. I didn't pull this card last night. But if I'm ever at a party and I'm not feeling it, I just go like, "Oh, I gotta get home and let my dog out." You know. <laughs> so I always have an exit strategy. <laughs> I don't know why I just thought of this, but I do remember um, a moment when when we were doing Cool Mom together. So during your time in front of the camera, I think you texted me one day saying, well, I've made it. There is a wiki feet profile. Of <laughs> there is a wiki feet profile of, uh, of me. There's only one picture on there. I swear I've posted more feet pics than that over the years. Um. I bring this up because um, you exposed me to the show The Other Two, which is now yes. one of my favorite shows. I think it's, it's very funny. really well written. It's um, it, it centers a queer character played by a queer actor, um, but 
almost every episode in that show. And you can tell that there's queer writers on the show because there are constant references to foot fetishists. And well, did you of- see the, the instigate came back in season two? Cause season two is <laughs> currently airing. I haven't seen it yet, but there's a whole, there's a whole foot episode. Basically. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. And to me, I feel like this is a turning point in our culture and community because I remember not even that long ago, I tested out one of my foot fetish jokes. Um, I, I'm, I'm open now about <laughs> being someone who has a foot fetish, but very I also, brave. I'm also very transparent about the fact that it's not my fault that I have a foot fetish. It's Disney's fault. Um, oh my God. Are you going to do the whole bit? <laughs> no, but I, but I did, um, try out that joke on Instagram at one point, And I remember then, and it was only like three years ago or something, just being met with still a lot of like a lot of slut shaming, a lot of, um, you know, kink shaming. And now here we are where I feel like every queer OnlyFans <laughs> profile has like one in three posts is dedicated to their feet. Foot fetish has become mainstream within the queer community, so much so that it is like an ongoing plot point in this show. Yeah, the other honestly, two. Honestly, it's a little passe now. I'm over it. I was a defeat yeah. before they were cool. <laughs> so I'm really like, a, I'm a trailblazer, honestly, for uh, coming out for having a foot fetish so early before it was... Um, uh, before it was made common and passe. <laughs> I hope they put you on currency. Like you should be memorialized for <laughs> your trailblazing. The front end of the bill is a picture of me. Stop the back it. end of the bill is just a foot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I think we're living in this golden age. Well, you know, with the golden age of sexual revo- sexual revolution is the backlash. Um, we've seen Tumblr get rid of porn. We saw not the, the feet, attempted <laughs> not the feet. We saw the attempted ban on sexual content in OnlyFans. I feel like you've always been an out and proud slut in your material. What's your take on this puritanical uprising against sexuality that we're experiencing? Um, I know it's the, uh, most boring gay guy thing to be like, I'm being censored on Instagram because they won't let me show my pubes, but that is how I feel sometimes. <laughs> uh, I, uh, did a photo, um, my ex took it of me, uh, covered in, uh, video game cartridges mm-hmm. and, um, I posted it on my Instagram and yes, you could see some of my pubic hair, um, mm-hmm. And Meatball, I I, I believe it was Meatball, um, our producer, Big Dipper's co-host, Meatball, (laughs) at Spiciest Meatball on (laughs) socials, who um, commented, I see dick neck. (laughs) Which, first of all, was not true. But second of all, even if it was true, like, stop being a fucking narc, Meatball. (laughs) That was my thought. No, my takeaway was, what a great term. (laughs) <laughs> what a great phrase well, the top is for the head, so the middle would be the neck <laughs> but it wasn't the neck it was the base but i get it it was the neck of the day <laughs> it was so evocative i had never heard that term before but when i heard when i read that by meatball i was like that's exactly what it is it's dick neck <laughs> but then you um took that photo and posted it on your feed and it really blew up it was a I great think it photo was- it was a quarter million likes, and I think Mark Jacobs liked it. My friend texted me. <laughs> my friend texted me and was like, Mark Jacobs liked your picture. And then my friend Casey Lai, who I'm not sure I've introduced you to, but uh, you two would love each other. My friend Casey Lai texted me from a bar in San Francisco, and it had big video screens. It's a picture of me naked covered in video games was just up on there. Oh, so you could try and censor me Instagram. The, the picture's out there. You can't take it away. Well... I mean, in the I cloud. Think, I think, um, I don't know. My only guess is, I mean, what we know now, uh, and I think what many people have always known, but what we're talking very openly about now is this censor- censorship of sexuality is just a form of controlling people. You know, it's just a form of trying to control what people um 
think is normal and natural and like this this uh conditioned belief that there's something inherently dirty or shameful about being a person who has sex and doesn't apologize for it is just another form of mind control to keep people if you can control the way people think you can control the way they spend their money and the way that they vote so oh, and that's all instagram d- is anymore is just where to spend your money oh i got off social media i don't i, I don't want to talk about it too much because i feel like <laughs> I feel like not being on social media is the like modern day equivalent of like, I actually don't own a TV, but I do. (laughs) I would just, I would say I've been off social media for about like, I don't know, three or four months at this point. And I would just recommend if you out there feel stressed when you look at your Instagram feed, if you are looking at Twitter and doom scrolling and just trying to validate the negative feelings you're already having. Just try a week without it. Start by getting rid of one app. Keep like one for safety. I kept Instagram for a little <laughs> longer than the rest. And see how you feel without it because I truly don't miss it. I think we've been really, uh, it's so habitual. Like I had to delete mm-hmm. the app off my phone because like I would just pick up my phone and my my finger would go right to where the Instagram app was. Oh, yeah. It's hypnotic, it's hypnotic, and uh, I had to ask myself, am I actually having any fun on this app anymore? And I think well, with all the ads and the puritanical stuff, I, I was just ready to call it quits there as well. Yeah. I will say, what else have I quit recently? <laughs> <laughs> I'll say some of the best advice I was given um, by a therapist was, you, you said it, justifying the negative feelings that we are having just because of life or because of the state of the world. Sometimes we feel this sense of dread or foreboding and don't have anything to assign it to. And then we go to social media and we doom scroll, like you said, and... And then suddenly we have, oh, here's here's a reason why I'm feeling shitty today. And let's just continue to live in feeling shitty. Uh, it's justifiable because look at all this stuff. My um, therapist said, you know, specifically to me in my career and my feelings of depression and anxiety, that when I go looking through comments or I go looking for posts Um, to find that negative comment about me or to find something someone's saying that I can interpret as like a diss on me is a form of self-harm. You know, it's a form of exactly what we're talking about, justifying negative feelings that we don't know where to assign them to. So we go looking for something to assign them to so that we can justify um, why we feel bad. But here's what I'll say is sometimes you just feel bad. And you don't need to, you don't need to go looking for a reason. Um, (laughs) There are just days that are harder than others. And if we allow ourselves to just accept that we don't have to be happy and feeling great all the time, not romanticizing that, not like leaning into feeling bad, but just like forgiving yourself for some days, you don't feel as great as other days. And if you lean into the things that help you in those moments rather than into the things that exacerbate those feelings, you know, that's how we conquer depression. And I learned a very good lesson from the show Big Mouth. Um, Besides pharmaceuticals, the best antidote for anxiety is gratitude. (laughs) And it was taught to me by way of the anxiety mosquito and the (laughs) gratitude. So Big Mouth, thank you for that life lesson, because nowadays when I'm feeling super anxious and there's, uh, I'm spiraling in my anxiety, what I try to do is think of the things I'm grateful for and then send messages or tell people in my life like, hey, here's the things I'm grateful for in our relationship and here's the things you do for me that I really appreciate. Um, and that helps quell the anxiety a little bit. Except for when it's 2 a.m. and I'm binge watching Mama's Family because I need something familiar to calm me down enough so I can sleep. I've but never seen you that. watch Mama's Family. Do you oh, like it's it? one of my favorites. It really reminds me of my own family. <laughs> no, it was on Amazon Prime. I had to buy it, but it was worth it. But it I'm still really logged am. into your Amazon because we shared an Apple TV for well, many years. Well, all six seasons so of Mama's Family there. is right there for you.
Nick, um, I love you so much. You are my family. Now it's time to ask you the ending questions. Question okay. the first. Who is your celebrity crush? Um, the first person who popped into my head, so I'll just go with that, is uh, Dev Patel. I just watched Green Knight. And I knew Dev Patel from Skins when he was skinny little Anwar. And I was obsessed with Maxi and Tony Stoneham when I was watching that show. Who knew skinny little Anwar was going to grow up to be the hottest guy on Skins? He is so fine now. And if you want to watch Green Knight, uh, it's it's very sexy. You see his butt. That's what I have to say. I watched Green Knight and I liked it, but also I didn't understand any of it and then i watched like a synopsis video on youtube about it and basically the only way you are going to know the references in the movie green knight is if you have an encyclopedic knowledge of the king arthur mythos (laughs) well i think i was assigned the green knight in college or high school so i had a vague memory of it but i was like i don't remember the green knight being a a tree man (laughs) It's it's like a it's a King Arthur epic poem <laughs> about the trials of the knight Gawain um, or oh, Gawain. The other other <laughs> hotties. This just popped into my head. Uh, Drag Race Holland season two is very good, uh, and I would love to be squished between My Little Pony oh and uh, Vivaldi. I would love to just <laughs> have be them do what they will between. with me. Well, sometimes I watch a season of Drag Race and I'm like, which two do I want to have a three-way with? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, if everyone's my... down, if everyone's into it. <laughs> of course, of course. Safe, responsible, and consensual is the um, caveat in all sex talk. Um, my celebrity crush right now, its uh, he's been my celebrity crush for a while, but he just popped into my head, is Luke Cook, who played um, Satan, on uh, he played Satan on the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, but his Instagram that season was is, so bad, Mom. I couldn't. <laughs> he's in multiple seasons, so whatever. I know he's in all the bad ones. <laughs> oh my god. Um, whatever. It's about witches, so I'm obsessed. Um, Luke Cook's Instagram is one of my favorite things um, because he's very funny and is oftentimes showing off his his physique in a funny way um and he doesn't take himself too seriously which is something i like in my thirst traps (laughs) my crush from sabrina it's obvious but uh i do think harvey was really cute and there's a scene i think in the first season ross lynch very cute uh you can find his butt on the internet he put that out into the world so go enjoy that gosh um, um. <laughs> I, I, there's a scene where he is dressed as uh, it's an homage to Johnny Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street where he's wearing the little half football shirt and I think about that a lot <laughs> he's got a very hairy tummy <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> um, yeah tummy hair is pretty sexy I gotta say um, as someone who shaves from the waist up Oh, oh fun I fact wish about, I had body hair. I would be so much. Fun <laughs> fact about Nick Sahoya is when we met, Nick um, was in a phase where he shaved his entire body every day. Um, next question. Every other uh, day. <laughs> <laughs> next question. Are you spiritual? Noi. <laughs> Noi. Noi. Uh, I um, respect people who have spiritual practices. Uh, I find that for me, I find uh, my grounding rituals are things that are very tangible and very of this world. I'm a very uh, logic-based being. (laughs) I'm a Spock, if you will. Uh, I had a period, and you know this, where I was very religious in my teenage years. And I think around the age of 15, I watched the movie Dogma, um, (laughs) which when you're, it's, you know, I don't know how well it holds up, oh, but yeah, when you're that, 15. That, that movie rocked my fucking mind when I watched. <laughs> Blew my mind, man. Introduced me into to some pretty out there concepts. <laughs> um, I watched that and I never went to church again. And for a while I was um, experimenting with incorporating some uh, Buddhist practices, which I, I hold on to a little bit of uh, Buddhist ideology to this day. I just think... Uh, the concept of freeing yourself from desire is the um, is the spiritual or religious practice that I can most easily wrap my mind around. So 
when I do feel a little out of control, that is something that I will remind myself is this thing that's causing you stress. It's only causing you stress because you're allowing it to, because you're allowing your desire for something that maybe was never going to happen, dictate your happiness. And I think that is something that I've held on to. But for the most part, I just like smoking weed, bro. <laughs> you do make a ritual out of um, uh, drinking tequila. You're very ritualistic about your tequila consumption. And it de- your tequila consumption depends on how much sugar you've eaten that day. <laughs> it's very true. I will, the last few days, uh, I have, so there's this really delicious ginger beer. I don't know the brand name or I would plug it because <laughs> maybe they'll send me free ginger beer. But it's this delicious mixer and I get like two or three bottles of it at a time. And I just, uh, during quarantine for a while, I was making this little at home like fruit uh, drink where I would like squeeze a cutie and a lime and some simple syrup into a shaker. And then I was like, there's too much fucking produce involved. I need to not do this. So I switched to the ginger beer and Jesus Christ, I thought I I had some friends over and I made them the drink and they were like, Oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. And I was like, okay, good. I'm not insane for drinking like three of these a night. Sometimes I'm trying to get back to a place where I have wine and then I have like straight tequila because I enjoy the taste of straight tequila and tequila's already just sugar. So, well, I think I'm thinking about it route. now. And for someone who doesn't consider themselves um, spiritual, you do set up a lot of ritual practices in your life. And I remember living with you, it was like on Tuesdays, we go to the Indian buffet and we can't eat the Indian buffet on Thursdays because it's our Tuesday thing. <laughs> and on Thursday evenings, we go to happy hour at the Mexican restaurant and we can't oh do God, it on any other day. So <laughs> no, well, that's wrong because I would, if, I would go to that Mexican place like three times a week at a certain point. <laughs> What was it called? Celia's? Celia's. Celia's by the Beach. If you are in San Francisco, please go patronize Celia's. They have a great margarita special and uh, all of their dishes are tasty. And the staff is uh, friendly and uh, lovely. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) Final question. What's your go-to karaoke song? And I know you do karaoke because that was one of our early bonding experiences. You were were a nightly denizen at the Crescent in Seattle. The diviest... Um, a karaoke bar you ever did see. I love that bar so much. Uh, I haven't been there in years. Uh, yeah, my go-to karaoke song is Young Americans by David Bowie because uh, it's, a, it's a David Bowie song, so that's point one. <laughs> point two is it's very catchy, but also there's a shitload of words in it and no one wants to commit them to memory, so... I'm just never competing with people. Like people it's like are a party doing trick. <laughs> yeah, people are. Well, he like basically he has like a little rap breakdown at the end of that, <laughs> and I can do it from memory. Uh, and uh, I I think I learned it for my 23rd birthday. I like was driving up from Portland and I was singing it in the car over and over just to get all the words down. And yeah, now it absolutely so you, is just you a rehearsed trip. for karaoke, <laughs> girl. That's what you gotta do when you go to the Crescent. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining me today, Nick. Um, thank you for having me. You're my family. You're my son. <laughs> you're one of my best friends. And I love you. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you want to hear more of this. Uh, witty repartee <laughs> you can listen to myself and Nick Sohaya on our new podcast I'm 40% podcast available wherever you podcast <laughs> it's very fun we've got great guests and we talk about Futurama which is a show you should watch if you haven't seen it already and um, I know you are um, you are on a bit of a hiatus from social media but if people want to see the archives of Nick Sohaya where can they find you <laughs> Uh, S-A-H-O-Y-A-H, uh, no Nick, <laughs> just the last name. At Sahoya. At Sahoya, um, you'll find mm-hmm. it. There's an H at the end. You gotta type in the H because I paid extra for it, or whatever oh, you God. say. fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, if you want to see the legendary photo of Nick naked covered in video game cartridges, it's somewhere on my Instagram. Just scroll down until you it's see Dick a, Nick. It's got a, a <laughs> emoji over it now, so you're going to have to <laughs> scrub the deep web for it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you for being my guest today, Nick. Thanks so much for listening to High Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for High Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more High Jinx. To listen to Hi Jinx ad-free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Make sure to follow at Forever Dog Team and at Mom Podcasts on social and rate and review Hi Jinx five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi Jinx is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, produced by Big Dipper, editing and sound design by Will Pitts, executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.